A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar... Arsenal Ozil, marca Mesut Ozil, Alexis en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada, gol de Alexis 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, a cheery festive Arscast Extra with James from Gunnerblog, hello. Hello. Uh, how, has, how has your festive season been? It was good up to a point. I had a lovely Christmas day, um, but sadly Christmas night, so the, the night of Christmas day, I came down with what I can only f- assume was the norovirus. It what, may have been what, a curse. What's the norovirus? It is a winter bug that involves the evacuation of one's body by any means necessary. From, a, from every orifice? Every single one. Ears, nostrils. <laughs> it was quite extraordinary. That sounds uh, jolly pleasant. Yeah, it lasted for 24 hours. Boxing Day was a write-off. I wasn't able to go to the, the QPR game as I was supposed to, but I have fully recovered. But other than that, it was terrific. What about you? Well, it's good for weight loss too, isn't it? Well, literally, it was a, a zero-calorie Christmas. <laughs> Uh, mine was fine, yeah, yeah. Lots of um, sitting around and eating and drinking and watching terrible movies, really. Mrs. Yeah. Vlogs decided that she wanted to watch all the Lord of the Rings is again. So kind of sat there and watched Lords of the Rings is. Tell I you actually what. actually did that fairly recently. The third one doesn't end, does it? It just, there's about 15 endings. You, there's, you go, oh, it's over finally. And then they have another ending. And then, oh, another one. But I tell you what, though. Tell you what. Mm. That Frodo is a complete cunt, if you ask me. What what makes you say that? Well, you know the way he's gone on this quest, a very difficult quest, and nobody would suggest that the quest was anything other than than treacherous and, and frankly, ridiculously dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. But he's he's got his pal there, Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. Right? They're supposed to be friends. Not once in the entire... 18 hours of those movies, does he say to his friend, hey, look, you don't have to call me Mr. Frodo. Let's drop, let's drop the formality, and you can just call me Frodo. Not once. He insists on being Mr. Frodo the whole in, way through. In the director's cut, uh, extended edition, there's actually a scene where Sam calls him Frodo, and Frodo slaps him and spits in his face. You cheeky fucking fat bastard, he said. Exactly. And I tell you, Mrs. Bloggs made a very good point as well. The biggest cunt of all is Gandalf. Why? Well, you know at the end, uh, we can do spoilers, right? I think so. You know at the end where uh, they've eventually got rid of the ring into Mount Doom and they're lying on this one rock that hasn't been consumed by lava? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gandalf comes flying in on, on some gigantic eagles... Mm-hmm. lifts them up, takes them away out of Mordor, 
and uh, and off they go. And why didn't the fuck didn't he just give them a couple of eagles in the first place? Good question. They could have just swooped over, plopped the ring in. There'd be none of all this, uh, you know, getting consumed by the evil of the ring. And uh, and that would have been that. Sauron would have been fucked from the off. They could have gone and had second breakfast. If only you'd been there. They needed a strategist. That was exactly. the one thing they were missing. They were great at archery, at magic, at being small people with horrible feet. But they did not have good strategy. Mm. So there you go. The fellowship was a man light, yeah. it transpires. Yeah, so there you go. Um, well, now that we've torn that apart, we yeah. should move on to football, right? Okay. Um, Queen's Park Rangers, you, you obviously watched through your uh, evacuations. Indeed, yeah. Um, it was all going very well, very comfortably, um, even though we should have been, you know, probably a bit further ahead than we were. Mm. And uh, at 1-0, Olivier Giroud... Well, it was a moment of rank stupidity, really, I think. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think he knew straight away as well. If you look, watch the close-up replays, as soon as he does it, there's kind of a an oh. eye roll and a sigh of, oh, shit, what have I just done? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, how how to what extent do you think Nedimonua sort of deserved it, really? I mean, he gave him that shove, didn't he, into the keeper, which could have, could have been quite dangerous. Yeah, it could, it could have been, but it wasn't. Yeah. And, um, you know, Anuha's reaction was pathetic, let's face it. But I think if you if you give a player in the modern game the opportunity to do that, uh, considering the ref was on the blind side, so he couldn't really see whether or not Giroud had, had loafed him. I mean, it wasn't a headbutt. Let's make that clear. He just sort of pushed his forehead into his, like a, you know, like a kind of stag or a ram of some kind. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it was a silly thing to do. If you want to take exception to the foul, I think that's absolutely fine because it could have been dangerous. But look, it wasn't. And he could have complained to the referee. He could have complained to the player. It was just, it was absolutely daft, you know, and I thought um, it, it might have come back to bite us uh, against uh, West Ham, but didn't, uh, thankfully. But it was, um, yeah, it was daft. You know, we can't really afford to be losing players uh, for no good reason, especially when we've got all the, the other issues we have with, with injuries. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Arsene Wenger's kind of infamous for <laughs> always defending his players and not seeing certain incidents, but the fact that he came out and pretty much condemned what Giroud did, suggest that he was far from happy. Uh, nevertheless, without Giroud, uh, Alexis Sanchez scored a goal and set up a goal for Thomas Rosicki, which was a nice, nice little combo. Yeah, remember him? Yeah. It was strange. It was, yeah. Strange seeing him out there. His his first start of the season, remarkable, considering it's it's almost January. Yeah, that is crazy, isn't it? I mean, we've talked in the past about why that might be. Um, one one theory I heard doing the rounds uh, this week was that maybe Arsene Wenger's holding him back for, for a, an explosive second half of the season. I don't know about that, but I think, you know, it's good to have him in the team. He brings that energy. He looked fit, which I suspect has been a problem over the last few months. Maybe he hasn't been quite as healthy as he, he might have been. And uh, a goal, which is actually quite a rare thing from Rosicki. Yeah, exactly. And a very, very important goal under the circumstances because... You know, had we had we been pegged back to one-one uh, with ten men, it, w- it would r- really have been different. Despite the fact that QPR are a bag of shit, yeah, they awful. really are. Fuck, Junior Hoylet. I know the, the the jokes are obvious, but if I mean, I remember people suggested that we should we should buy him. 
Mm. Um, but I don't understand how a professional footballer can get into the positions he gets in or got into the other night and continually just club the ball beyond the far post for a cross. It's, it's like not being able to take a corner. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he was. if he had been able to cross, I think we would have been in big trouble because we actually didn't defend brilliantly against him. We allowed him to come back onto his... His superior right foot repeatedly, but he just kept superior sm- right foot. <laughs> superior. <laughs> superior. I wouldn't say it was good. I'd say it was superior to his left foot. Yeah, well, we um, can let people make their own minds over still the quality of his left then. <laughs> <laughs> but he just kept smashing it out of play, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, very grateful for that. Very grateful. And they in the first half were Thanks, Junior. Indeed. They were absolutely woeful in the first half, I thought. Like, they just came resigned, I I thought to defeat and they they've lost every away game and you can see why because they went with one up top and they just didn't seem to have any kind of game plan until we went a man down yeah yeah and even then the game plan wasn't up to much um Arsene Wenger putting on defenders to defend the lead some people suggesting that you know perhaps under the circumstances it will be better to perhaps give you a Walcott a run out for example what was your uh, what was your uh, feeling on that? And I suppose in light of the the West Ham game as well, we res- we resorted to all the fullbacks. Well, look, all the fullbacks worked pretty well last season. For, yeah, certainly in the first half of the campaign. So I haven't got any qualms with that. I feel a bit sorry for Theo Walcott because I, I kind of wonder when he's ever going to get a chance. Um, it seems that Arsenal is waiting for kind of the right circumstances to introduce him, and because we're not winning games as comfortably as we might hope to be, those don't seem to be coming about. So he's just sat there on the substitutes bench. Mm. He's not going to get any closer to a starting level of fitness without these substitute appearances. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, I kind of, in the circumstances, you know, I I felt probably that there's still an issue with with his fitness, that he's not quite 100% yet. I think the manager just before the um, QPR game said he's nearly there. You know, so in two days, he, he won't have been that much closer to it. Um, I think had we been winning, let's say, against Queen's Park Rangers you know, 3-0 with 20 minutes to go, Walcott would have got a run out because there's yeah. no pressure and, you know, you're not looking for him to, to bust his arse up and down the wing to defend like we would have been if, if he'd come on against Queen's Park Rangers. Against West Ham, maybe, you know, he, he, he could have got a run out. I think uh, he was warming up, certainly. Uh, but I think, again, circumstances dictated that the manager decided, look, we've got a lead, we're defending pretty well, we're coping with what West Ham have got to give us, let's shore it up, let's be as stable as we possibly can be, because it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if you, if you go defensive uh, and you see the game out, or you don't see the game out, people will accuse you, oh, I've got that all wrong. If you put on an attacking player and you don't see the game out, people accuse you of being uh, reckless or tactically inept. Right, mm. um, and I suppose the the safety first approach is probably the the, the wisest, given how uh, difficult we found it defensively in in uh, in recent times. And let's not forget, I mean, Theo Walcott's not great defensively, is he? He's no, he's no defender by any means. No. Um, and I think was it against Anderlecht? Uh, we were three in a lap, and we seemed to be cruising, and we actually brought on. I'm trying to remember Podolski, wasn't it? And Rosicki and attacking players and they came back into the game and Wenger took an absolute pelting for it. Mm. So I can't blame him for being conservative with his changes. But the thing is, for Walcott, it does extend that absence because he's not going to come 
you'd imagine into the starting lineup for the next game at Southampton, it would be a big call, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, but I w- it wouldn't surprise me. Actually, really? yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. To be honest, that if he's you know if he's sort of eased him back into the squad, and if he feels that the groin injury is is now done and dusted, he might well start him against um, against Southampton. I think probably he'd be a better bet from the bench. But what Arsene Wenger does with his squad, particularly this time of year when he hasn't had a chance to rotate, you know, we've been looking at Alexis and saying he's got to rest him at some point, doesn't he? Because there were moments yesterday against West Ham, we'll touch on the game in greater detail now in a minute, but there were moments where Alexis was in fantastic positions, as always, but the decision-making struck me as that of somebody who is fatigued physically and mentally. You know, the, the, the passes weren't right. Uh, they weren't quick enough. Uh, and I know that's been a, a small issue with him in general, that sometimes he doesn't use the ball as well as he might. But in the last two games, I think we've seen him um, really uh, suffer the effects of, of fatigue and playing at a time of the year when he's not used to it. So the manager has got to be aware of that too. And, and maybe, I won't say Walcott is a like-for-like example, but maybe if he's going to play well back up top, he could put, he could put Walcott on the right-hand side. Possibly. As I say, I'd be really surprised to see him start, but, you know, second-guessing Arsene Wenger's becoming increasingly difficult. Mm. Just before we talk about the game itself, were you surprised that changes against West Ham weren't made earlier? It was 85 minutes before we made our first sub. Are you worried at all about the the strain that's being put on those players in the first 11? I think the, I think the difficulty for the manager is the fact that the team were, were playing pretty well. You know, and that they were, uh, they were coping with what West Ham had to offer, and at the same time we had outlets and we had chances and we were creating goal-scoring opportunities. You know, so um, maybe maybe Welbeck was a bit tired, but look at the run he made, look at the chances that he had, look at the impact he was having. That he was giving us something really positive when West Ham. Uh, we're, we're pressing for an equaliser. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I get that. But I, I suppose he was looking at it going, well, if I just keep them on, maybe we can get that third goal um, uh, and put the game out of sight because really we should have won that game more comfortably than we did. Yeah. And I think as well, looking at the team and where you'd want to make changes, if the front three are all playing well and, and they're all quite defensively switched on, the, change, the area where you might want to make a switch is in central midfield where players have retired legs. But looking at the subs bench we had at West Ham, there's not actually a central midfielder there. No. Um, we've got Podolski, Walcott, uh, Campbell and Akpom, four strikers out of the seven players on the bench. So, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a huge amount that the manager could have done to sort of strengthen the, the defensive unit apart from bringing on those fullbacks, which yeah. he did do. And I, I think that was, I think that was absolutely fine. And I think you know, um, if people say it's inviting pressure, perhaps. But I think the the natural momentum of a game is that when you're at home, when you're losing, when you're looking for a goal, you will pile on pressure. How many times have we seen it at our place where we've been looking for either a winner or an equalizer, and people say, "Why couldn't we play the the second half the way we played the last ten, fifteen minutes?" Mm. But it's just the the, the momentum of a game. Um, the the opponents sit deep because they know there isn't much time to go. They don't want to get exposed. You can pile a bit more pressure on, and that's that's the way it goes. But um, overall, I thought it was a really uh, quite encouraging performance. Obviously, defensively, we were quite quite solid with Mertesacker and Koscielny back in the side, and I was really really impressed with Wojciech Szczesny. Um yeah. The the first 
cross that West Ham put in, I think it was a tester, was like a minute into the game. They lofted in a cross from the right-hand side, looking for Andy Carroll. And I think had Chesney come and fumbled or had Chesney not come and there was a bit of a scramble in the box or, or Carroll had won his first header, you know, that just gives them a bit of belief. But he came, he was big and strong and, and did it pretty much all day, a couple of moments aside. But I think um, his contribution to the to the uh, defensive solidity was perhaps a little bit overlooked. Yeah, I think so. And there were one or two moments a little bit hairier. But I think at West Ham, if you're going to go there and survive your goalkeeper's got to have a great day and Chesney did that. I, I think that his confidence was probably helped by the fact that he had his first choice centre-back pairing in front of him. We just look so much more secure with Koscielny in there and I think it boosts the confidence of all the players around him. Uh, and I think we saw that. Mertesacker was good as well. There was one header, he beat Andy Carroll too at the far post that was a superb interception. Yeah. Uh, and in the game's final stages he made a couple of good clearances. It's really telling how much better he looks, how much better Chesney looks. Debushi, I think, was beaten, obviously, on the goal, but generally acquitted himself well. Monreal appears to have toughened up somewhat after that spell at centre-half. So I thought they were encouraging signs defensively. And we did really well to hold on because West Ham were exerting some real pressure in those final stages and could easily have got something. Mm. But uh, I think what was encouraging as well was that from an attacking point of view, when they went... Uh, when they got their goal, that we didn't immediately shit our pants, which no. ha- has been known to happen. Um, we 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 responded by creating a brilliant chance for Cazorla. I think uh, I think people who were saying that uh, Adrian or Adrian, uh, Adrian, uh, who, you know, however you want to say his name, made some great saves. I think um, maybe one was a was a good save, and the rest of them were kind of whacked straight at him. Mm. Um, and that one with Cazorla that sort of rebounded off the underside of his arm. Uh, you know, though we've seen those may, many times go in. Oxlade-Chamberlain straight at him. I think the one down to his near post uh, against Alexis. You know, you'd be really good at if uh, if your goalkeeper led that one in. So I think it was as much down to our poor finishing as, as good goalkeeping. But, you know, we responded in a very positive way. Yeah, and I thought the front four linked really well. Um, not for the first time this season that that combination has, has clicked quite effectively, those players. And uh, on the break, we had real threat, as you'd expect, the pace of Alexis, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Welbeck, and should probably have been out of sight. There was a point where, you know, after the third or fourth miss, you thought, well, oh, this is going to cost us. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah, it did feel like that. You know, the, the, the chances we missed would uh, would come back to bite us in the arse, but thankfully What about not. the... Um, the Alex Song goal we've not touched on. What did you make of that? The disallowed goal. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's twice that's happened to us in not too long a time because there was one against Swansea. Remember, it would have been 4-0 to Swansea. Was it Swansea? Uh, no, not Stoke. Swansea. Stoke. Yeah, would have been would have been 4-0 to Stoke. Um, and the goal was chalked off because there was a player in an active position who was offside. Um and I thought that was maybe a bit generous, and maybe yesterday was a little bit generous too. But you can't ignore the fact that the uh, the two West Ham players were offside. One of them made a motion, not so much at the ball, but to let the ball through his legs, and I think that um, that made him very active. So, yeah, I mean they're given and they're not. You know, um, yeah. I think we I got mean- a little bit lucky. 
Yeah, I think the thing is, I think the Stoke one was actually an incorrect decision. I think that goal should have stood. I think the West Ham one is the correct decision, but you're still lucky to see it given. Yeah, yeah. You know, nine times out of ten, the referee doesn't spot that. Um, but I did enjoy Alex Song's quick reversion from not celebrating to protesting the decision. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh, I have to say. Yeah. I've got so much respect for this club, I won't celebrate. Wait a minute, why didn't you give it a go? God <laughs> damn you. Um, what, what did you make of him in general yesterday? He's been um, somebody who's got a lot of plaudits for West Ham, but uh, I don't think he was particularly good. I thought he was okay. I mean, I didn't think he was great. The, the player I've been talking up was Winston Reid, and he had an absolutely terrible game. That was uh, hilarious as well, wasn't it? Going, how can you possibly have given a penalty, even though I stuck my leg up in the air and, and tripped him, yeah, obviously. I mean, that seemed to be the rage of a man who knew he'd got something very, very wrong and was desperately trying to cover it with a ferocious <laughs> protest in the style of Jose Mourinho. But I am... Um, yeah, I, I, he had an awful game, I thought, which was... Uh, Interesting ahead of the January transfer window. So, uh, do, what what does that performance? Um, what, do, what does it make for your desire to <laughs> to to sign him? To be honest, it doesn't actually make a massive difference because um, I, I've never necessarily been convinced that Winston Reid's a world class defender. It's more a question that I'm just not sure if there are that many world-class defenders available in January. And mm-hmm. I do think he might he might still be a sensible purchase. I think he had a bad game, but I don't think he's a bad player. Mm. I used to have a dog called Winston. Did you? Yeah. What about uh, Wenger getting his cock out? Uh, he does love getting his cock out from time to time, but that's something I think we'll touch on in part two in the questions, because uh, uh, quite a number of people have sent in questions about that. So um, why don't we wait for that? Okay. Well, All right. We'll okay. Well, uh, that's the end of part one. Um, we're going to take a short break. We're back with your questions after this and the winner of the Savile Road competition from the main Arscast just before Christmas. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Now, before we get on with your questions, as sent to us very kindly on Twitter, I want to do the winner of the Savile Road competition, which was on the Arscast just before Christmas. Because of the, the weirdness of the week that's in it, we're playing on Thursday, so there's unlikely to be an Arscast on Friday because New Year's Day, well, I'm probably not going to be in any fit state to record an Arscast, and the game is just uh, will be just taking place that day. So um, we're going to do the winners um, of the £75 voucher as given to us by our friends at Savile Rogue. That's Savile-Rogue.com. The random number generator picked out Ray Flaherty and Craig Congdon. So Ray Flaherty and Craig Congdon, well done to you. You get two £75 vouchers to spend on anything you like at the Savile Rogue website. Uh, So check out Savile-Rogue.com. It's got cold, so it's time for all their warm goodness. It's freezing over here today. It's pretty cold here as well. Right. Okay. Well, uh, questions time. And uh, they're sent to us, as always, on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. And, James, the first one today mm-hmm. comes from uh, Gooner DS. That's Gooner underscore DS, mm-hmm. because there's probably a Gooner DS somewhere out there. Bastard. Yeah. Anyway, he says, given his performance yesterday, do you think Coquelin has any chance to become our first choice DM? Ah. Will he be anointed? as the, the saviour of the Arsenal midfield. Indeed. Well, it was nice, as I said earlier, to see Wenger get his cock out, especially in front of Sam Allardyce, yeah. I thought. 
Uh, that added a particular flavour to it. <laughs> flavour, eh? This yeah. is going wrong very quickly. <laughs> well, he's not the biggest, is he? But he's always up for the fight, which I, I do like. But I think um, he... No, I don't think he is the long-term solution by any stretch of the imagination. I think that it was a question of necessity, as I pointed out earlier. There was not another central midfielder in the matchday squad. Um I suppose Oxlade-Chamberlain could have played there at a push, but it seems that's not really considered an option. We haven't seen Callum Chambers yet there either, despite Wenger's uh, suggestion he could play there. But I, I think if a player has been out at Freiburg, been out at Charlton, I just can't see it that they're going to become a Champions League player suddenly at this stage of their career. So I don't envisage him him doing that in the long term. What I do think is it might mean that he stays around for the remainder of this season which I think at one time was probably quite unlikely Hmm. what about you? I think what his performance showed was the benefit of a player with that kind of mindset and and that skill set you know um, what's the difference between Coquelin and Flamini? um, if any just out of interest or do you think it's the benefit of having two or what? I think it could be the benefit of having two, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure that Coquelin is um, physically the monster that people want. You know, he's he's a, a decent player. Uh, but I think the point that, that you made about him being sent on loan uh, to Freiburg, to Charlton, it, it suggests that Arsene Wenger has made his, his mind up about him uh, in terms of his long-term prospects. He seems uh, a nice chap. Uh, he put in a really good shift yesterday. But I think what what the manager thinks of him is is pretty obvious um but what i do think is that when we, when we saw what he could bring to the team yesterday or the option to play two players like that maybe that's something that the manager you know can look at and say right well that is kind of a gap in my squad yeah i think that's the most optimistic outcome i guess is that arsene mega looked at cochland's performance and doesn't think ah I have found the answer, but instead thinks I need someone a bit like that, but better. Yeah. Because um, Cochrane will be 24 before the end of this season. Is he and that I, old already? Yeah, yeah. So right. I think, I do feel that like if he was going to have made the step, I think it would have happened before now. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but I do think that is a massive gap in the squad. It's one we've talked about plenty. And uh, I, I think it would be great if if we could bring someone in in that position as ever, I'm I'm not confident about it, but mm. uh, I think he's he's an interesting player, sort of unusually for an academy product of Arsenal. He's, he really does seem to enjoy some of those nastier aspects of the game. He likes tackling. I think that's clear when watching him play. He enjoys the scrap, but that's sort of only half the battle, I think, for Arsenal. I feel like in terms of the defensive midfielder we need, we've got someone in Flamini already who, who likes those kind of feisty elements of the game. But we also need someone who's got more of what Arteta has, which is tactical intelligence and awareness, positional mm. discipline, and an ability to playmate to an extent, to to take the ball off the back four and start off attacking moves. We yeah. kind of need a, a composite of those players, really. And I'm not sure Cochrane's able to do all those things sufficiently to, to win that place. Yeah, I would agree with that. Could well be an option... Um, for the rest of the season or until the end of January, depending on on what happens. But in the very long term, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen for him. So, mm. right. Mm. Um, should we have another question? Yes, let's. 
okay, let's do that. That's what we we usually do. <laughs> it's what we normally do. It'd be strange to sort of you know change break the mold at this stage. Just have one question. That would be that wouldn't be giving people value for their money. <laughs> no, exactly. We'd hate that. All the all the refunds flooding in. I know. Okay, well, this question comes from Jane Cavendish, uh, jcav90 on Twitter. And she asks, will Wenger revert to four-one-four-one when he gets all his attacking midfielders back? Oh, there is a question. I hope not, because I think what we've seen is that we're probably better balanced the way we are mm. at the moment. And the team, and I think we said this pretty much from the start of the season, that the team seems much more comfortable um, playing with the the system that they've been used to over the last couple of seasons. I never quite understood the 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 change, you know. I know he said that it was to give us greater solidity in, in big games. Um, but, you know, I just... It seemed more to me like a way to get Ozil, Ramsey and Wilshire into the yeah, same team. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and I think what we've seen is that when we've got players like Welbeck and Alexis uh, in the team, that we've got when we've got a player uh, in that middle position like is doing right now, you know, who, who can play make a little bit, who can find those runs, that we are much more effective as an attacking unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would... It'll be interesting to see how he fits Ozil back into the team when he is fit, though, because Cazorla is playing absolutely brilliantly at the moment. Yeah, well, Kim Everett actually asked, given the Santi resurgence, wither Ozil when he's fit, which I wanted to include partly because I really like the word wither. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's, thanks, um, Kim. Yeah, but um, I mean, what what do you think on that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, ideally, you'd want Ozil playing where Cazorla's playing, um, but Santi's hard, playing hard so well. It, yeah, yeah, it re- really is. But I think probably. Santi is also good on the left-hand side, that he can do a better job there than, than Ozil can, I think. Mm. I mean, I don't think it's his best position, but if you want to put the two of them in the same side, I, I would keep Ozil central and Cazorla could go on the left. That would be one way of doing it. But the manager has obviously looked at what Germany did in the World Cup and they played Ozil down the left. And Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but it'd be interesting. It will be very interesting. Do you think in the last couple of games we've won 2-1, but it's been quite fine margins towards the end of matches. Do you think that's somewhere where we've missed Ozil in terms of potentially controlling a game and helping almost see it out just by keeping possession? Do you think he'll he'll help in that respect? Maybe. I mean, I think the contribution you'd be looking for him to make is to, to, to ensure that games aren't quite that tight at the end. Yeah. Ideally, that, yeah. Yeah, ideally, so you'd want him to make an attacking contribution. Um, but, you know, I think it has been noticeable in, in some of the games where late on, when you're looking, for example, Liverpool, mm. when all Arsenal needed to do was show a bit of composure and get on the ball and keep possession, that we didn't really have anyone who could who could do that, who could just put their foot in the ball and, and find a pass and look for a pass back. So I think perhaps in those circumstances, yeah, he could be an asset, but I think is 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 uh the contribution you want from him is to create chances and for those chances to be taken by the strikers. Yeah. I think Arteta's probably a big loss in that respect as well. 
Um, when's he coming back? Any idea? Uh, no. Uh, could be. <laughs> could be. Twenty eighteen. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah. <laughs> well, Arsene Wenger said, uh, Arteta's doing well. He's making progress. He's had a little setback, uh, which is the most... His leg uh, has fallen off. Yes. So we're just sourcing a new leg. It's got to be flown in from the Basque region <laughs> because, you know, he's got to he's got to stay fully Basque. Um, but, yeah, no, I think he'll be back in a couple of weeks, I think. Okay, interesting. All right, here's a question uh, from Marco Fuchs. Uh, mm-hmm. It's at Wanderlust Marco. Um, and it's it's um, it, it touches on Podolski maybe going to Inter Milan. He says with Podolski gone to Inter, reports from German media. What do you think about the move? Uh, taking bearing in mind that we're still dealing in hypotheticals, uh, and is it a chance for Joel Campbell? So let's touch on Podolski first. What what do you think? I mean, the manager was asked about it yesterday at his press conference. Yeah, did you see it? I uh, didn't have a chance to look at it yet. It was sort of interesting. He was asked about Podolski, and he was, they said, oh, did you... Um, there was reports that you were, had a meeting with Inter Milan yesterday, and he, he didn't deny those. He just said, oh, there's nothing concrete. Mm. Um, and then he said, but, you know, Meza Ozil's coming back, and there's a lot of competition up front, and several journalists, as soon as Wengel walked out of the room, turned to each other and said, well, Podolski's gone then. Yeah. It, it was kind of that kind of vibe. Um I've always maintained I think he'll go, and I think he probably will. Um, what do I think about it? I, I kind of think it's just inevitable. I, I know people will say keep him around because he's a good finisher, but I'm not sure how much use that is when he's barely on the pitch. Mm. Uh, there's only one circumstance in which Arsene Wenger seems to be prepared to use him, and that is chasing a game uh, in the last 10 minutes. And I think... I think we'll be all right without him. I think that it just hasn't worked for him. I don't think he's got an established place in the side or even in the squad. So I don't really see another solution. And I uh, I think that with players coming back to fitness, his opportunities are going to be even more limited. Yeah, but I mean, given that we are prone to the odd injury here and there. Now, I yeah. know that could be shocking news to some people. Hmm. Um, what is the what is the benefit to us of loaning Podolski to Inter Milan? Like if we sell him in the summer, for example, and get five or six million quid for him, there's a benefit there in that we have got financial uh, 
reward or we've got more money to put towards somebody else who would fit better into the squad. And I agree with you that the system we play and the way that Podolski plays is not suited to this Arsenal side. Regardless of formation changes or anything like that, he still doesn't really fit in any uh, uh, fixed position. Mm. But would we not be better off just keeping him until the end of the season? Because who knows? You know, he has been uh, uh, effective sometimes when brought on, chasing a game. Think about Anderlecht away. I remember West Ham last year where we were, I think it was 1-1, was it? Maybe 1-0, I can't remember. We were losing and Podolski came on and scored yeah. one and assisted one for Walcott. You know, so um, the other options that we have, particularly when it looks like Sonogo's going to go on loan, Giroud's legs could break at any time by the wind blowing too uh, too strongly on them. You know, I don't really understand what the benefit is to us of loaning out Podolski. Well, I'd be a lot more comfortable if we'd seen Theo Walcott play some minutes, I have to say. Because obviously, I guess Walcott it, returning to fitness is effectively what will bump Podolski down the pecking order. But obviously we haven't seen Walcott yet, so a setback could happen and that is worrying I, I, why Why are they doing it now I don't know I guess because the, play, the players probably made it clear that he's unhappy with the situation um, that doesn't prevent Arsene from saying no you can't go and I'd certainly rather we were getting a transfer fee for him mm. than letting him go on loan that does seem like an odd aspect of this deal uh, you, you'd like to think financial considerations aren't part of it but Podolsky is one of the higher earners at Arsenal so Maybe that is a factor. You know, we know that Wenger likes to keep a close eye on the wage bill. Maybe he doesn't see it as efficient to be paying someone that much to do very little. Mm. He does seem to have lost pretty much all faith in him, though, doesn't he? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, for me, if I was the Arsenal manager, I would probably keep Podolsky around because I do think he's the best finisher in the squad. Mm. But I don't really see the point in keeping him when the, the guy who is in charge clearly doesn't believe in him. Mm. Here's a, here's a, an interesting one. I'm reminded, you know, of the FA Cup final uh, after we'd won. And uh, I was sitting with somebody who um, knows people at the club, shall we say. Mm. And uh, Podolsky chased after Arsene Wenger with a bottle of champagne and soaked him to the skin that he had to change his shirt, get his nipples out at Wembley in front of the TV cameras, the whole lot. Arsene with his Mr. Muscle physique. And that, you know, that that particular gentleman turned to me and said, oh, he won't like that, Arsene Wenger. He won't like that. So do you think that bottle of champagne, or could even have been Budweiser, couldn't it, in a, in a champagne-y bottle? Yeah. Could that have done for Podolsky's Arsenal career? It all came back to the nipples. All came back I, to, I, to the nipples. But then, but then Arsene was out all summer flaunting them across Brazil. Wasn't he? Was he topless, though? Was he? I thought, you know, he was wearing some T-shirts. Maybe he was showing off his pins. The old oh, Maybe uh, he was wearing T-shirts. The old yeah. legs, you know, but he it's wasn't. My, my imagination playing tricks on me again. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're seeing what you want to see. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about my dreams live on air. Yeah. Um, no, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It just feels like... I don't know, something went wrong for Podolski. I mean, if you think about the FA Cup final, I've just looked back and he was actually withdrawn after an hour, a quite poor hour, as I yeah, recall. Yeah, he was not very good. For Yaya Sanogo. Mm. Um, so maybe the writing was on the wall there. I mean, he, he, he was playing games at the end of last season, but only because I think we didn't really have anybody else, I seem to recall. And, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is not. So you would keep him, would you? I think I keep him till the end of the season because um, he, he could be handy. Like, I don't think he's a first-team starter, but what I think is that he adds a bit of depth to the squad, some finishing ability. If you need a goal in the last 15, 20 minutes of a game, you know, who would you have more faith in scoring from nothing? Because he is capable of just, like, doing nothing and then scoring a goal, a cracking goal. Yeah, he's a great um, finisher. Whereas you wouldn't get that, perhaps, from, from Campbell. You wouldn't get it from Sonogo, certainly. Um, I just think that squads need need depth. Now, we've got plenty up there, but we thought we had plenty in midfield, too, and all of a sudden we've, we've got to get our cock out. So. And we definitely wouldn't be bringing anyone in to replace him, I wouldn't imagine. No. No, I couldn't see that. Unless uh, he wants, maybe, you know, to give... Um, to give that place in the squad to, to Akpom? Well, I thought it was interesting that he made the bench at West Ham. I don't know if that's just a case of numbers. You know, I I didn't look at it in detail. But mm. Akpom, I think, am I right in saying his contract's up at the end of the season? Yeah, so I believe. So maybe he does feel he needs to start including him in the squad in order to, to convince him to sign a new deal. The, the Podolsky saga, the mystery of Lucas and the, everything uh, that's going on. And what on, about the know. second half of that question, Joel Campbell? Go for it. Well, no, no, I'm just saying the second half of the question was, will Campbell get a chance if Podolsky goes? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Go for it. What do you oh. think? Oh. <laughs> I thought he'd go as well, to be honest, Joel Campbell. I think in some ways, what with if Sonogo goes out and Podolsky goes out, I think we have to keep Campbell, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe he will get more opportunities. It's very, it's a really weird one, Campbell. I it's another one where Arsene Wenger seemed in the summer to make a decision to keep him without any great sense of how he was going to use him, mm. which is actually quite unlike the manager. Usually he's very tight on how he builds his squads and quite keen that everyone will get playing time. But in this instance, it just doesn't seem to have applied. No. I think in- inevitably, if Tanogo and Podolsky go out, Campbell will have to stay. So there will be opportunities for him, especially if we can muster a run in the FA Cup. But uh, it'll still be it'll still be well down the pecking order behind you know the likes of Walcott and Welbeck. Mm. All right, let's have another question. This question comes from Matt Dalton, ninety-seven. All right, uh, and he asks, "What do you make of Danny Welbeck's time at Arsenal so far?" Well, that's interesting because I had um, I had another question, uh, which was quite similar. I think it's been pretty reasonable. Um, I think he's he's probably not scored as many goals as he should have, but he has scored some some important goals, some interesting goals. Um, I think he gives us uh, um, options that we need in certain games. You look at what he did yesterday, for example, that outlet, that pace and power. Um, I mean, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a 30-goal-a-season striker. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he, if we talk about having squad depth and we talk about Podolsky, that he is he's one of those players as well uh, that gives us that, and maybe a bit more because he's got he's got a sort of a combination of of finishing, of pace and power. Um, I think we'll we'll see more from him. Um, maybe he's struggling a little bit, being sort of shifted left and right. But you know, I think the manager's deployment of his forwards is quite fluid, isn't it? Because yesterday. Alexis started as a centre-forward, yeah. and Welbeck was on the left, but by the end of the game, 
actually by midway through the the first half, Welbeck was the centre forward. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been quietly impressed. I think there's more to come, or there should be more to come from a player of of his talent. Um, yeah, overall, I would give him a solid B. Solid B. Yeah, yeah. I think he's been. I think he's been good. To be honest, I think given that, given that our backs really were to the to the wall on deadline day, and we didn't have a centre forward, you know, to speak of, the fact that we got him in was a huge boost, and I think he's been important. As you say, the the number of goals isn't great, but there've been some significant ones in there. A few winners and an equaliser against Hull. I think he needs to score more mm-hmm. if he wants to play regularly. I think he probably knows that. You know, I think yesterday the West Ham game summed him up quite nicely. He had a very good game, I thought. Offered a constant threat on the counter attack, uh, scored a, a decent goal, but then got that chance where there was that loose back pass, and he raced onto it and he put it over the bar. Yeah, and I think he's, he's actually spoken about it to Arsenal dot com, and he said he was disappointed with that. And I think that's where he needs to improve. That hasn't changed. You know, at Manchester United, he was a promising player who lacked a bit of composure. Just because he's wearing an Arsenal shirt, that's not going to go away. Mm. It's going to take a bit of time. But uh, I've been really impressed. And I think, talking about Podolsky, whether Podolsky plays centre-forward or left-wing, you never feel he quite clicks or does enough you know, for the team. Whereas Welbeck, wherever he plays, seems to be a fairly seamless fit with Arsenal. And I think that will always stand him in good stead and ensure he gets matches. I mean, a guy, Tiki Tekkers, wrote in saying, did you think his performance at uh, West Ham suggests that Giroud's focal presence is a bit of a shackle on him? Do you think there's anything in the fact that he, do you think he plays better without Giroud, or is that something you've noticed? Um, I, I don't know if we've seen enough of that, but I think, you know, they probably are, are vying for the same position, really. I think so, yeah. Um and I think what, what I can't remember what game it was a few games ago anyway and um, he played a front three could have been Newcastle was it where he played a front three of Alexis Giroud and Welbeck and it worked really well mm-hmm. and I think at times it can work well depending on on the opposition um, and I'm not sure that Giroud shackles him as such but Giroud can only play as a centre forward whereas Welbeck has the ability to move wide left or, or wide right because of his his pace and and uh, and that side of his game, where Giroud doesn't. Giroud's more limited. Um, so whether that's a negative for Welbeck or not, I don't know, because leaving aside the ridiculous red card, Giroud has been in pretty good form since he came back and has contributed quite well. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just kind of happy to have the options, though. Do you know what I mean? Last season we were going, well, all we have is Giroud. Because Walcott was injured, we don't have any other options for for centre forward. Whereas now we can play three centre forwards. You know, we can play Alexis as centre forward. We can play Welbeck centre forward. We can play Giroud centre forward. At a at a push, we can play um, Walcott there mm-hmm. when he's back. So I'm glad to to have the options. The other thing that I'd say about Welbeck is that he is. Um, I don't want to jinx him here, but then there's no such thing as jinxing. But he appears to be a fairly robust young man. He's played a lot of games. He's played pretty much every game since he arrived. Mm. Every game. That's where you call into question the goal scoring, that he should be doing more. And I think there, uh, there, there have been chances that he's spurned. But also, I think if you were to go back and analyze the games, one of the 
things that sticks in my mind is Welbeck looking for passes that he doesn't get and being a little bit exasperated by them because he's in good positions. Normally, it's Alexis who doesn't spot the pass (laughs) or chooses to go for goal himself. And look, he's amazing. And he, you know... um, you know, scores a lot of goals and has made such a positive contribution. But I think um, that if he could be 10, 15% better with the ball, that he would just be an, a, just an unstoppable player uh, because he would create more, even more. And it sounds churlish looking for that from Alexis because he's just been so positive and so brilliant and, and everything else. But I think Welbeck is one of the players who, I won't say suffers because of that, but when he partners... Um, with with Alexis, he knows that Alexis is, is going to go for goal most of the time. And I think there have been moments where a better pass would have created a better chance for, for Welbeck. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And he is inevitably the secondary partner in that relationship. But also I think that he, you know, you talk about the runs he's making, not necessarily getting seen. He's perhaps missing uh, Meza Ozil and Jack Wilshire, with whom he seemed to be developing a decent understanding you remember that Aston Villa game where he and Ozil clicked really well mm. and barely played together again after that. So once they come back as well, I think we might see him getting, you know, those one-on-one chances where he seems most comfortable, really, more so than when the ball's pulled back to him or what have you. So I think he's done well for a good first six months, but still room for improvement. Yeah. All right. OK, here's one from at Stephen CKC. And he says, the best 2014 memory is probably the FA Cup, but what would be your shittiest memory of 2014? Oh, I've taken it all the way down now, haven't I? This, I should have, yeah, I should have rethought that question. <laughs> what, was the, year, what was the betterest memory than the FA Cup? No, OK, go on, do it, do it. Um, I think the Chelsea game, I have to say. The, uh, the 6 I That was the low point for me. The low point in a, in a, a year of several significant... Nadir's mm. uh, but that was the lowest of the low I, c- I can't uh, I can't top that what about you yeah that was annoying <laughs> that was annoying alright I thought that the I thought that the the 1-0 defeat to Stoke really oh you really hate that one I don't fucking you? Yeah. hate that game yeah. I don't know why probably because it's Stoke and you know it was a game we we're expecting to do better in. You know, if you lose to Chelsea, fine. Not fine, but you know, it's not it's not too unexpected given our record in the in the big games. And to lose six 0 was absolutely appalling, but that Stoke game just still makes me want to yeah, do bad things to things. Um what else would be a bad one? I think the Everton game as well. The Everton game. And possibly the Walcott injury at the start of January that was that was bad January third I think that was yeah um, so what about I mean this is miserable isn't it I was just going to list more the Liverpool game wasn't great yeah that was terrible terrible remember that other thing that was really bad that was awful exactly yeah and that other yeah that time we did that stuff all wrong yeah remember uh, not good what about other good points, though? The FA Cup was definitely the highlight. Oh, yeah. Me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Anything it's, it's kind of amazing. Close? I don't know about, about running it that close, but um, I did enjoy... I really did enjoy the run to the FA Cup final, apart from the semi-final. The semi-final was nearly one of the low points. I mean, the point mm. where we were losing the semi-final was 
the most sort of anguished and pained I've been watching Arsenal for for many a year. I would yeah, say. because of the, the the implications of that result would have been seismic. Yeah, but yeah, I mean the FA Cup. I don't know why people write it off. You know, in their for all the legitimate criticisms that there are of this club and of the manager and of the players and everything else, uh, and there are loads of them. I don't know why you would dismiss something that was so fucking brilliant to hammer home your point when it doesn't need to be hammered home. No, that way. People go, oh, the FA Cup's not really a big trophy. Fuck that. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant day at Wembley or wherever you were watching it, uh, and we saw all the videos of the bars around the world where people just had a fucking amazing time because we won a trophy. Um, In ridiculously Arsenal circumstances, of course, but we won it all the same. And that's what it what it comes down to can't complain about oh we haven't won anything and then when we win something going well it's not that good is it yes it is and it was um so the FA Cup was clearly the best i thought the summer as well the early part of the summer where um we signed alexis sanchez where that i remember we discussed it didn't we on the on one of the early Arscast extras, and you were talking about, oh, he he would be a fantastic fit, and we were saying that would be amazing, and then, wow, shit, it's happening. It's mm-hmm. happening. This is real. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that part of the summer was great as well, because we, you know, we knew Sanya was going, but we replaced him early with Debushi. Uh, we knew that uh, Fabianski was going, and we got Ospina in, and then you get Alexis, thirty-five million pounds from Barcelona. You're looking at him, going, "This is the fucking business." So that was a high point uh, for me as well. And um, yeah, and then the season happened, and then then the football started. <laughs> I have to say, yesterday's win at West Ham probably might be the the Arsenal game I've enjoyed most this season. There was it had a real sort of cup tie atmosphere and it was a, a big big win, a really important three points. Mm. I don't want to say turning point, but you know, you never know. Mm. All right, uh let's have one more. Okay, let's have one more. Um oh, I've got a good one actually. All Bear right, okay. Me. Right, this is from Gunners Down Under. I don't know where they're based, but <laughs> they they ask you're trapped in a room with Jose Mourinho and Phil Collins, you have a pistol with one bullet. What do you do? Um, is there any chance of ever getting out of the room? No, you're trapped in this room. Forever? Indefinitely. Like uh, Simon Mignolet trapped on the substitute's bench. But he's back. He's playing. He played oh. their last game. That's a bad... That was a bad example. That was a bad example. Okay. It would depend. If I was trapped in this room forever and ever and ever, I'd probably shoot myself. Because Is there any way you could trick them into putting their heads near enough to each other that you could take them both with one shot? Well, you wouldn't need to trick them. You've got a gun, so you could make them. But my mm-hmm. point is that if I was going to be trapped in there forever, it would be just better for me to put myself out of my misery and then know that uh, they would they would have to resort to cannibalism to stay alive. They would have to eat my rotting flesh. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the other, one, the other obvious answer is you shoot one of them and beat the other one to death with the pistol or, or tear off Mourinho's arm and beat Phil Collins to death with Mourinho's arm or, or something like that. But, you know, again, it depends on the level of trappedness. 
if I was only going to be trapped for a couple of days, yeah, I, I would I would befriend them sneakily. Okay. And then as we were being released, uh, and they were walking out, I go, gents, you, you walk out ahead, and then boom, straight through. <laughs> That's how you do it. I see. It's like you've done this before. It is like I've considered it. Yeah, exactly, at some length. In the past. What would you do? <laughs> what would I do? Well, mm. as you know, I love Phil Collins. I love the music <laughs> of Phil Collins. <laughs> um his his soundtrack to the animated film Tarzan is very moving. Mm. But I, uh, what would I do? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, these sort of pantomime villains, you kind of need them, don't you? Especially at this time of year. I mean, Mourinho's histrionics yesterday, including his bizarre pronunciation of Fabregas, were a, a wonder to behold. What did he call Fabregas? I think it was Fabregas or something. I mean, oh, he doesn't correct. deserve him. Yeah, I know. It's disgraceful. <laughs> uh, that was hilarious, though, that there's some kind of campaign against against Chelsea. Yeah. Because, what, they don't dive? I mean, it, did he not see the game last week when three of his players dived? Quite obviously. Very bizarre. Yes, it's almost... Now, uh, this could be crazy, but it's almost as if, he, as if he was creating a story to deflect from the poor performance of his own team. I mean, that's that's a conspiracy theory and a half there. Yeah. Um, but people I, fall for it all the time. I know, I know. It's mad. And, and also, what what drives me crazy is, look at my Twitter timeline now, I saw a few journalists complaining, saying, I wish managers wouldn't talk about referees. It's so boring having to read this again and again. And it's like, but you're, you're, you're literally writing it. <laughs> writing it up and printing it. You're choosing that as the angle to lead on. <laughs> so surreal. Um, and it is boring. I mean, you know, let's talk about the football. Yeah. But um, what would I do? I would kill... I'd kill Mourinho. Because, you know, <laughs> let's face it, without him, Chelsea are not quite the force. You know, and I think, if anything, hopefully Phil Collins would then be appointed as his successor as Chelsea manager. Or you could frame Phil Collins for the murder. That is smart. Yeah, that's what you could do. Kill Mourinho and then put the gun in Phil Collins' hand and then, you know, guards, guards, look what Phil Collins did to Jose Mourinho. And then Phil Collins would then be sent away to Alcatraz forever. Two birds, one bullet. Yes. I've got one final one. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it comes from uh, Rory Golifer. Mm -hmm. And he wants to know, would you rather have infinite eels <laughs> or bees that have a sexual attraction to you? Okay, now, I need to ask a question about this question. This okay. is why I didn't choose it, because okay. I think there's discrepancy. Is it infinite eels or bees that have a sexual attraction to you? So the eels and the bees are both sexually attracted. Or is it just infinite eels or some bees that are sexually attracted ah, to you? This is where a comma would have come in handy. Yeah. I'm going with the... Given the fact they didn't start the question with a capital letter, I'm suggesting that Rory's... His punctuation is not, you know, it's not one of his main considerations. Sure, so my, he's in a my, hurry. He knew he had to get the question in. It's obviously urgent. My reading of the question is, would you rather have infinite eels or bees that have a sexual attraction to you rather than infinite eels or bees that have a sexual attraction to you? Okay. Okay, that's good. Because eels with a sexual attraction to me does sound really frightening. Bit slithery. Yeah, I mean... The stuff they could get up to would be awful. So I would go for 
And when you say I have them, do you mean I just own them? Yeah, I guess you could deploy them as a as a, as an army or as a helper eels for people that that need their shopping taken. I mean, old I'm ladies. definitely going with the eels because I feel like I'm the victim of the bees. I feel like bees being attracted to me won't end well. No. Uh, yeah, I can. I sound sore in every respect. So I'm going to go for the infinite eels, and that could be like I could be a superhero, and I. You know, whenever I needed, I could summon the eels. Because I don't know, and no one likes eels, do they? I mean, and everyone would be shit scared of infinite eels. Yeah, but they're they're delicious, though eels. No, but these are live eels, aren't they? Well, yeah, I wouldn't eat them live. Do you eat eels? Do you eat like jellied eels? Not jellied eels, but you can get um, eel sushi. Oh yeah, so yeah. you can. And it's very very delicious. Mm. So but I they're, like. I they're like creepy, it. though, aren't they? They're like water snakes of some kind. I've seen them. I've seen them. I've seen them on the documentaries. I'd choose infinite eels. All right. I would unleash them on my foes. I mean, maybe even on in in that cell with Mourinho and Phil Collins. Nice. That would solve nice. the problem. What do you want out of those two? I'm going to go for the bees. Why? Well, because... Just you're very vain and you like the idea of a, a whole swarm of bees being attracted to you no well well all the bees would just be there going like oh you're so you're so hot you're so hot and i could get the bees then on the promise of some sexual encounter in the future which is never going to happen because i you know i'm i just don't have a thing for bees in that way Mm. but you could then you could make them do things for you like a like a love-struck teenager who is uh you know captivated by by a girl who then gets him to go and run errands for her because she's too lazy to do them. And he's, he's thinking, maybe I'll get off with her later. But she's never going to get off with him. So that's mm-hmm. what I would do. I would, I would use the bees to, uh, to do tasks for me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't, I don't quite know what tasks. I would start probably with something, something, something easy. Like something make, like make, make honey. Make honey, yeah. yeah. Something they're accustomed to. Yeah, exactly. And then you, could, then you could, you know, make them into... Like orc bees, bringing it back to the start of this podcast. You could create evil bees that could go and do your bidding. Very good. Yeah. Be like the Saruman of, of the bee world. Absolutely. What you could do, though, is do humanity a service by training your bees to go and sting everybody who is allergic to bee stings, right? And all Eradicate those... that genetic weakness. Exactly. The human, the human, uh, the human being would be a better, a better thing for it. My aunt is allergic to to bee stings, and she ate a cake with a bee on it, a real bee. <laughs> Why would she do that? I, I believe it was some kind of accident. Right. Either that, or she thought it was sort of an iced bee. She was going, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is a, a delicious way out. A bizarre suicide <laughs> bit, yeah. She'd been waiting for that moment, and she saw the bee on the cake. And she, she was all right. She was hospitalised. So she wasn't that all right. But she, <laughs> uh, she got out. It's fine. They released her eventually. But uh, it was very dramatic. But I remember just as a child being told about this and just wondering exactly how that came about yeah. i think if i was going to eat a cake and there was a bee on it i would have noticed i would choose a different slice exactly yeah all right okay well look 
As always, we're answering the big questions here on this uh, on this podcast. Indeed, yeah. All right. Well, look, we're going to do it again next Monday for uh, for Arscast Extra forty nine. I think so. Uh, for now, thank you for listening. I suppose we should say, given the uh, the week that's in it, that uh, well, I, I I can't speak for you, but I'd like to wish everybody a very happy New Year. All the best. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I'd, I'll join you in that actually. That's good because it would have been slightly curmudgeonly of you, awkward, you know, yeah, yeah, if you decided, nah, nah, fuck, fuck them. <laughs> that would have been that would have been bad. But have a very happy New Year, everybody. We will talk to you in 2015. The future. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.